Welcome to the Startup Smarter Podcast, the best audio show for people who are ready to turn their big ideas into big income. Each week, we explore effective business strategies, guest interviews, and success stories that will help transform the hard grind of starting a business into a smarter and more scalable experience. Here's your host, Joe Johnson. Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Smarter Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Johnson. And on today's podcast, I'm sitting down with my good friend, Jen Beerson from Generation PR and Generation Academy, who is the foremost expert on public relations, helping land both her clients and students big press coverage in places like InStyle Magazine, Forbes, Business Insider, Huffington Post, and even on the critically acclaimed television show, Ellen. But first, it's time for listener shoutouts, where each week we'll select a random review and read it on the show. And this week, we actually don't have a review to read because we're announcing the winner of this month's drawing at the end of the episode. So to see if your name has been drawn, stay tuned to the end of this episode to see if you've won. Also, the Entrepreneur Bundle Contest winner will be announced today as well. There's always a lot of fun stuff going around over here at Startup Smarter. And if you want to get the news on the latest and the greatest, join our Facebook group over at facebook.com forward slash startupsmarter.net. All right, let's move into the episode. So I wanted to invite a PR expert on the show because it's an area of my skill set that I personally feel that I'm weak in. I'm a marketer by trade, and I wanted to learn more about this field by bringing on an expert, and not just any expert, okay? My guest today has an amazing come-up story that I really think you're going to appreciate. Not only did Jen jump into a business she knew nothing about, she did so in her 20s while simultaneously walking away from a comfy six-figure salary, which is a really hard choice when you're talking about tackling the unknown. But she came out on top and now helps entrepreneurs like you and me claim our own placements in magazines, high-profile websites, and television appearances. She has a ton of experience, and I can't wait to share this episode with you. So without any further ado, I hope you enjoy my episode with Jen Beerson from GenerationPR.com. Let's get into it. Jen, welcome to the show. Hi, Joe. Thanks for having me. Jen, and I know I gave away some of what you do uh, in the intro there, but in your own words, how would you describe what it is that you do to someone at, let's say, at a dinner party? It's a little complicated these days because there's kind of two sides of my business. So I'll start at kind of the beginning. Um, Well, if I want to go way back, I'm actually a civil litigation attorney, which is not what this show is about (laughs) at all. But I did a major career 180 about... 14 years ago, and I started Generation PR, which is a full-service public relations and social media marketing agency, and we specialize in promoting brands, particularly in the beauty and baby and now health and wellness spaces, and I've loved running this company so much over the last, you know, decade plus that I started to realize what an incredible career transition it was for me and how I have been able to build a business around the life that I want and being present and checking parents and running a company that just completely makes me feel fulfilled. And so I just wanted to teach others how to do the same. And I created a program called the Agency Accelerator where I'm able to teach others how they too can launch, grow, and scale profitable agencies on their terms 
And I also teach our public relations strategies, tactics, our entire framework for how we promote our clients, including our billion dollar clients. So I have a full range of, of uh, information products that I also am able to serve with. <laughs> that makes sense. Okay. So I want to take a moment and talk about you because you had just mentioned this before, but what I find most interesting was that you were working in law and I'm assuming that it was a comfortable salary. So I'm curious, like what was the thing that made you decide to jump into PR? Definitely not money. <laughs> um, you know, it's a little hard to walk away from a nice um, six figure salary when you're you know, in your, in your twenties, but, um, I just honestly looked around after four years of practicing litigation and didn't really see any women, you know, mind you, this was 14 years ago, but I didn't see any women that I could look to as a role model for the kind of life that I wanted to have. I didn't see anybody who kind of had gone along the path, made it to partner, and was still able to be present for their family that seemed to have balance. I, you know, I was a junior associate working really late hours. And as I looked around, I saw all of the senior associates and partners working the same hours. And I didn't see a path for myself to have the kind of life that I wanted, which to me, success is not just money. It's not about having, a, you know, a big income or a lot of revenue in your business. It's about doing it on your terms, you know, being in control of your time, being in control of who you work with, where you work, how you spend your time, choosing projects that light you up. That's my definition of success. And when I looked around in law at, you know, 27, 28 years old, I just said, there is nobody here that has done what I want to do. Um, and I don't have a role model to kind of hitch my start of their wagon and I want to pivot and do something else where I'm in charge. That's really insightful. All right. And did you have any like formal training on how to run an agency or, or did you have any like any contacts? <laughs> no, I had nothing. I started this business with zero contacts, zero formal training. Um, while I was still practicing law, I actually found a fragrance company that I really loved. I loved their products. And when I ran out of this little bottle that I had, um, you know, my mom said, I really love it too. Can you order some for me? And so I placed a pretty significant order of these products. It was kind of hard to find the company. I actually discovered it in Europe on my bar trip after I took the, the bar and did my research to try to find this company and found out they're in California and I thought this company has no presence here they have no retail sales they just you know the, the company has so much potential and I feel like I have all these ideas for how I can promote them and just ironically because I placed such a large order the owner of the company actually reached out to me personally and said you know thank you for your order um assured me it would be here in time for Mother's Day all of that good stuff and so I just felt compelled to say you know let me help you you don't have to pay me anything but I probably need some sample bottles that I can send around and get them to some celebrities and get it into magazines and hopefully, you know, help you get some exposure for your brand. And shockingly, she sent me this huge box of products and it was kind of the most fun day ever. I got, you know, I went to court in the morning and I came back and there was this huge box of samples. And I remember ripping the box open and we were just combing through like all these lotions and shampoo or uh, body body washes and, you know, fragrances and all that good stuff. And 
I just felt so excited about the possibilities of what I could do for this company. And I got a couple early press placements for them. And, um, you know, one of the placements we got was in a national, um, you know, one of those kind of gossip magazines. But she said it would have the biggest impact on our company of any effort that she had ever made. She was getting retail stores interested. She was selling out of her products. And for me, holding that press placement in my hand was like kind of like a drug, honestly. So good that I, you know, and, and doing something tangible to build a brand, to lift a company up, to have a positive impact versus litigation, which is carrying another company down, exhausting resources, outspending, you know, that, that juxtaposition against my old career, I felt like this is what I need to be doing. And, you know, like you asked if I had any contacts or, or any training, I didn't, I just, I just kind of leapt and assumed that the net would appear and started researching what it actually was that I was doing as this a service companies pay for and didn't even know what PR was, but started to do my research and quickly decided that I didn't want to work at a PR firm. I wanted to be the PR firm. So that's what I did. That's super impressive. And it shows a lot of hustle too, that you didn't even know what you were doing, but you made it happen. I respect that. Now, I was personally excited to have you on the podcast because being a marketer myself, I've always really wanted to learn more about PR because sadly, many of the clients that I work with believe that PR and advertising are the same thing, which they're not. So first off, can you help us understand the difference between public relations and advertising? Yeah, that is a common misconception. It's kind of funny. We'll get clients that call us and start asking questions saying we want your PR services, and as I'm listening, I'm thinking, you want advertising. So advertising is paid placements in various forms of media. So it could be, you know, a, a, a commercial, a print ad. It's where you control the messaging, the artwork, the copy. You know, when you are advertising, you are in control because you're paying to play, essentially. And PR, you know, in its kind of purest form, public relations is where you're convincing editors, podcasters, you know, TV producers, influencers to tell your story on your behalf. So you're letting them know that this product is a good fit for their audience. You want them to try something out, give a firsthand narrative of, of their experience with your product, talk about your service, interview you. You know, those types of exposure through the media that are unpaid, that is public relations. And then more and more these days, there's kind of a blurred line between the two because there are some kind of paid opportunities, like some influencers want to be paid, but they still express their own opinions. Um, you know, they've built these platforms and they want to be paid for the reach and the influence that they actually can give to a brand. And that's, you know, worth a lot to a brand. So that's kind of one of those crossover opportunities where brands are seeing the, the carryover, you know, the crossover between PR and advertising. But traditionally, PR is unpaid exposure in different types of media outlets and advertising is paid placements where you control the messaging. 
That is a great explanation and breakdown. I appreciate that. Now, you had mentioned this before that you have two sides of your business. Uh, one side is your agency where you're helping brands land major press. And on the other side of your business, you teach people how to get PR for, their, for themselves. So I want to first start on the side of like, I'm a startup and I want to drive as many fans and followers to my brand and convert them into buyers. So my question is, why is PR so great for brands? And why do you think it's essential and not just something that say, oh, maybe we should do PR? Well, PR, if it's done right and it's timed the right way, you know, definitely when you're a startup and you're launching, that is your premium opportunity, your golden opportunity to get exposure for your brand. Editors want new, consumers want new. That is the time to strike while the iron's hot. And if you wait too long, you miss that great, great opportunity while you're still fresh, new, and interesting. And then beyond that, you want to continue to have interesting messages and stay relevant in the eyes of the media by coming up with new story angles for your company. But what PR essentially does is it drives consumer demand. So consumers are trusting the editorial sources they're reading. They're learning about a, a, a company in a magazine or on a blog, a website that they read and trust that they align with. Um, maybe they're following influencers whose opinion they value and they're hearing about your brand and it's kind of like a recommendation from a trusted source and it creates instant consumer demand and has an amplified reach because, you know, depending on what platforms you're targeting, they have a built-in audience and, you know, built-in reach and Usually there's a demographic associated with a certain publication or a podcast or a TV show where you can ensure that if you're, if you're searching for your specific target audience, certain publications are the right fit to reach out to. So if you align your messaging and get placements in uh, you know, some media where your target audience is going to be consuming that media, they're going to see your products, they're going to immediately know about the brand when it's new and interesting and it drives kind of instant sell-through and there's also some other kind of tricks that we do too to kind of spin it a little bit like even if it's a little beta launch and there's a small amount of products we kind of spin that and make it exciting that the product is sold out you know it's this kind of psychology around wanting something that you can't have so we then make a big deal about how the company launched and the products are already sold out. And then that creates even more demand. That's a little trick for you. Oh yeah. Like a fear of missing out, right? Total FOMO, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's say I'm a small brand. What do they need to have in order to start getting the ball rolling? I actually have a checklist. Um, I don't know if you have show notes, but I have a checklist that your um, audience can um, grab if they want to have just a complete list of what they need in place. But in general, it's, you know, if you're a brand of physical products, you want to have two types of images. You want to have product shots on a white background that are just your product that an editor can literally grab that image, drop it into their editorial layout, and nobody would know that they didn't actually shoot that image, right? They just need to look very clean and crisp and generic. And then lifestyle images. So that helps kind of tell the story and position the brand. Lifestyle images are pictures of your product or even yourself 
in some kind of a setting, right? So you can have a model or not. Some kind of um, some of them are kind of flat lays where they're taken from above, and there's product, you know, other um, items all around it. It kind of sets the tone for the brand, so that helps convey the brand narrative a little bit with the visual, um, you know, representation of how the products fit into a, a lifestyle image. And then you also want to have your product descriptions locked down, your price point, a list of the retailers so that you can um, direct the media for where to purchase your products. Obviously, you want to create that demand and then have an opportunity to capture that demand by selling your products. Um, and, and I will say, too, what we are seeing in our business more and more these days are even major publications, major editorial outlets, kind of requiring some kind of an affiliate link. So they want to be profiting off of their own stories and links, and they do disclose it. So it's not shady, but we are hearing that rather than driving directly to our clients' websites, if they don't have a, an affiliate tracker in place, they will connect to Amazon or other different affiliate links. Um, so you want to Think about that because it might be an opportunity to actually secure press if you have an affiliate program in place for your products. Um, you know, so you've got your price point, your product description, and if you're able to sample your products, you want to, you know, have all of that ready as well. Because if you pitch and they ask for samples, you have to be ready to act quickly. Nice. That makes sense. Okay. And yeah, I'd love to get our hands on uh, that checklist that you have. I'll be sure to go ahead and add that to the show notes. So what should the number one objective be when it comes to creating a big win for PR? Like what should I be aiming for? So a great win would be securing a placement where your target audience is reading. And, you know, we also can think about Print magazines versus digital. I know that there's this cachet of being featured in a print magazine. You hold it in your hand. It's so exciting. But those opportunities are so few and far between. If you think about print magazines in general, they publish only once a month. But there's digital versions of print magazines, and those opportunities are so abundant. They're looking for tons of content. And you can have a great placement in InStyle or Allure com and still have that cachet of being featured by that publication. So think about where your target audience is consuming their media. Think about things that really resonate with you. What do you read where you think to yourself, I should be in there. My products, my brands, my services should be in this publication. You read it and you just feel like your stuff is such a great fit. Those are the publications you should be going after. You want to align with what editors are already writing about. Not, it's like trying to put a square peg in a round hole, right? If, you, if your story is not a good fit, it's a waste of everyone's time. So think about where your product is completely a slam dunk, no-brainer, and pitch to those publications. That makes sense. And it also answers the question of like, how do I identify the right outlets to pitch? Okay. So let's say I, I, I found the outlet that I want to pitch, right? Can you give us an example of how you would structure your pitch so that way you can get the highest chance of a yes? Yeah. So the biggest piece of advice is short and sweet and to the point. Your pitch 
is to start a conversation. It is not to tell the entire story, your entire brand story, what all of your products are about, what your brand message, mission is. It's simply to get them to be interested and want to learn more. So to do that, first you want a subject line that will entice them to open and read your email. It doesn't have to completely summarize what's in the body of the email, but just enough to get them to click and read your email. So it can read like an interesting headline, something that's attention grabbing, but not gimmicky. Like I don't want you to be cutesy and gimmicky where you're gonna, um, you know, kind of annoy the editor. <laughs> just grab their attention. Sometimes you can even you know, mention the publication and the subject or what the, you know, mention the editor by name and the subject. Some people do that. We don't do that, but it does sometimes get results. Um, it's, if it feels natural for you, fine. And then the body, first thing you want to do is genuinely connect. You want to give, you want to serve, you want to add value. If you pitch from that headspace, you will position your pitch in a way that shows the editor what's in it for them. So first you want to kind of compliment them on an article that they wrote, maybe let them know how much you enjoy their work, but be genuine. So you need to spend some time researching the publication and the writer and what they cover. You want to make sure they haven't already covered this exact story, um, you know, something that uh, isn't you know, already on the site but aligns well with the content that they're writing and mention how their work resonates with you. Have you implemented some of their strategies and had success? You just want to make a connection. And if you do that, now you have their attention and they feel like you are aware of their work and your pitch will probably be relevant, right? You just want to convey it's relevant. Then you want to quickly, kind of succinctly, talk about your story angle, your product, your service. You want to make sure that it's timely and relevant. You want to be aware of the seasonality of things and also pitch lead times. So if you're pitching a digital publication, you want to start about four to six weeks out. So, you know, thinking about something that's running in June, you're going to want to pitch in, you know, April, right? Mm. Um, Oh, you got to think about that. Editors are on a different timeline. Print magazines, you want to plan four months out. Or if it's holiday gift guides, they're looking at that at the beginning of summer. So there are some timelines you have to think about. But then you just list bullet points. You know, I have a, a story um, idea for you. These are my products. You know, here's three ways that it could be a good fit. Bullet, bullet, bullet. You know, and then you end with a call to action. What is the next step that an editor can take in order to continue the discussion? You know, get back to me if you want. I can write it up for you. Let me know if you'd like for me to write up these, these tips for you. Let me know if you'd like a sample. Please let me know if I can provide you with images and more information. Something very clear so they know the exact next step to take with you. And again, short, sweet, and to the point. That's really valuable. Okay. And, and, and where do you stand on putting in, let's say, a link to your website or attachments in the first email? Is that a good thing to do or a bad thing to do? Definitely links are okay. Attachments, not okay. <laughs> you imagine they're checking on their phone or they're getting, you know, I, I talked to a contact of mine at Huffington Post. She gets 75 to 100 legit pitches every single day. And if she had 
attachments on every one of them. I mean, it just clogs up their inbox. It's just kind of a no-no. So unless they ask for pictures, I mean, you can embed a low-res image in the body and let them know that there's a high-res image available. Maybe provide a link to the website or something along those lines. That's fine, but definitely not any heavy um, attachments. It's going to get deleted. No one's going to even read it. That makes sense. And sometimes in the grand scheme of things, as we're trying to get, you know, PR for our product or our service, we kind of forget that these individuals are people too, people that are getting 75, 100 emails a day. So can you walk us through what the follow-up process looks like? So that way we're not annoying, but we are persistent. Is that a better way to put it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love that you said that because that's such a great point. And that's part of what goes into a successful kind of mindset when you're pitching is just keeping in mind that the people on the other end of the pitch are real people. They're on deadline, they're busy, and they are the gatekeepers to some pretty powerful media outlets, but they are real people. So I will actually expand upon that and say that you want to connect even before you reach out. So using social media, I mean, it's easier than ever to connect, you know, follow that journalist, follow that editor, see what they're writing about, share their content, you know, share a tip from one of their articles and tag them and see what platform they're most active on. Are they on Instagram? Are they really busy on Twitter? Where are they the most active? And connect there. And just genuinely from a place of appreciation for their work, share their work. And then when you pitch, they will recognize your name. You've already spent a week or two, and it's worth it. Again, if you don't go, if you don't go broad, you just go deep, and you make deep connections with quality outlets. So you want to make those personal connections where you will be recognized, and you're showing appreciation for their work. So then, when you reach out, they're aware of who you are, and that you already are a fan of what they're up to. So then, you ask about the follow-up. You know. You definitely want to follow up and don't feel concerned that that's pushy um, if you say it in the right way. Now, I've seen people follow up with tactics like, was it something I said? And they cute things like that. And that annoys editors. It's just annoying to them. You know, somebody may have your email sitting in their inbox and they're wanting to get back to you, but they got a little overwhelmed. And your, your follow-up can just kind of jog their memory and bounce it to the top of their inbox. We, I would say probably 80 to 90% of our secured placements come on the follow-up. Wow. So you want to follow up, let's say, maybe five days to a week after the first pitch. If it's something really time-sensitive, follow up and, and gently nudge. And you want to follow up on the initial email so they have the email below to reference and either give one more little small bit of information or some other way that you can connect with them or whatever. You want to you want to provide something useful and helpful. Give them a reason. You want to give your reason for following up. And then I would say try one more time and don't give up altogether. Maybe try pitching a different editor at the same publication. Or maybe try pitching a different story angle to that same editor. I want you to think of silence or a no to really mean not right now. That that makes a lot of sense. And it's really important to point out what you had just said, like 80% of the yeses came from the follow-up. So don't give up. 
that's a really good tip. And, you know, talk to me about this, uh, this topic of digital quotas, because I just recently learned about this, like, what are those? And how does it increase my chances of getting featured, let's say? So it's kind of funny, because I've never heard it called digital quotas. <laughs> but I think that you're saying that digital publications have a higher quantity of stories that they're covering, and they have constant, um, you know, new content that they're looking to post. Is that what you're referencing? Yes. Yeah, yeah it's interesting. I've never heard it called digital quotas, but I have to look out for that article and read it. But in general, the, that's the trend, is that because digital publications, you know, they, they need to be relevant, they need people clicking through, they have to have new content all the time so people come back and visit, because that's where the revenue comes in, is eyeballs, right? So because of that, there's more opportunity now than ever. You know, editors are looking for stories to tell. And if you have a relevant and timely story that's a great fit for that publication, then it's worth pitching. And there's a better chance because instead of a print magazine, like I said, having one edition a month, you now have possibly 10 story opportunities per platform per, per day. So there's so much opportunity now. And it's just about, you know, timing it the right way finding the right person that will be interested in your story and positioning it so that it adds value. What are the lessons you learn? What is, how is this valuable to the readership? That's how you want to position your story to secure some of those great digital placements. That's awesome. Okay. So let's say I follow Jen's tips and I got my story picked up. How can I leverage that in order to get the highest amount of value uh, for my business? You know what? I actually have a leverage checklist too. <laughs> it's useful for your reader or to your, for your listeners. I'm happy to um, give that one as well. But some of the strategies are, you know, first of all, if you post it once on your social media, people are not going to see it. You have to kind of tease it out a few times and not in an annoying way, but pull out different things about the article or about the press placement and mention it a few times. You know, I, I still sometimes mention articles that I wrote three, four years ago, if it's Forbes or something really, you know, really good um, with great tips, I'll, I'll link to it. Oh, you might have missed this. Um, you know, uh, you can kind of pull out and say, like, I'm so honored to have this great feature on the company, or I love that they mentioned this particular tip, I want you to, you know, keep that in mind as you head into the summer months, something along those lines, where you're rolling it out over social media. And one of the things that ends up happening is you find ways that you can share this, like you can send it out to your email network, blast it out right away, push traffic to this right away, um, share it on social, you can put it in certain groups and forums that are the right fit for it, even your college alumni group. And, and share as a, you know, kind of an alumni, they want to support their alum. There are ways to push traffic to this right out of the gate. And what ended up happening for a couple of my students is that they wrote articles on certain platforms like Bloomberg and Live, and they ended up pushing so much traffic, just not even having a huge audience, but just by sharing it on a couple different platforms that they were offered uh, writing opportunities to continue writing for these publications. 
So it gets more eyeballs on you, but it, it could also have the other effect of them seeing how much traction you get for your articles and them asking you to be a regular contributor. And now you have a platform. That makes a lot of sense. And that's a lot of different ways to kind of leverage the press that you get that I didn't even think of. Really smart. All right. So let's switch it up and talk about the client side of your business, which I find equally fascinating. So let's talk broadly about your role when it comes to working with bigger clients, because unlike working with startups that want attention, bigger established companies may also need your help doing things like fielding questions or like crisis management and other stuff, right? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, just in running my business, I will say that the bigger the client, the more they leave us alone. (laughs) That's the direction I've gone in in my company. You know, we have several clients that are billion-dollar brands, and they just trust what we're up to and just kind of leave us alone, which is really nice. Now, crisis management, I would bring in somebody to help with that. Unfortunately, we don't have too much of that, um, which is great. But in terms of my role in my business, I've built a team where I'm now, you know, what I really love doing is not the day-to-day execution and pitching, but I love building client strategies. I love serving the clients. I love uh, writing uh, proposals, doing the client development in my business. And I also wanted to free up my time so that I can support my accelerator students because I just really love that so much. So I am now really in my business kind of just, serving the clients in a way to ensure that everything is moving forward and they're happy. But my team is awesome. I've built an incredible team that just gets results and they work really fast. They're all very senior. I trust them and they just get things done. And the clients love working with us as a team. We're really collaborative. We're very responsive. But I will say I also have built the business in a way where we're extremely responsive during business hours, but nights and weekends are my time, and our clients don't don't care. I mean, they don't care. If they know we are going to get our work done in, in a very quick way during business hours, and after hours, they don't bother us, and we don't bother them. And if you set up those boundaries at the outset, then you will build a business that you love rather than one you resent that kind of bleeds into your personal life. That's really smart. That's really smart. Okay. So when someone buys a service from you, like what is the thing they most often want? Like, do they want to become more famous and get on the cover of the Wall Street Journal? Or do they want their stock price to go up? Like, what is the thing you're trying to sell for them? So it depends, really. But um, we typically represent brands and they want their products exposed in the media so that consumers want to purchase them. And they want quick sell-through on new launches. They want to, you know, capture market share, baby and kids and beauty and cosmetics. You know, they're, they're very crowded spaces, and so they're looking to capture market share. That's for our traditional PR services. We also provide social media services, and with that, it is owned media. So you can control the messaging, the visual um, aesthetic and really uh, have conversations with customers. And our goal is to be an extension of the company in a way that they can interact genuinely with customers from a customer service perspective or just from a brand affinity building perspective. 
And so clients ask us for that. But if I had to say what their end goal is, you know, usually it's about customer acquisition, driving consumer demand, and we've even had clients that have brought us on in order to really ramp up their sales and tell a great story about the brand so that the entire company could be acquired. And then we actually survived the acquisition. <laughs> so the company got acquired by a huge, uh, you know, $3 billion publicly traded company, and we are still representing them to this day. So, um, you know, we were part of that narrative as well. That's a huge achievement. And that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And I'm, I'm having a moment here because I think I'm starting to see a bigger problem being solved as we're talking because most small businesses suffer from this issue of like, man, I need more clients or I need more leads. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like if you leverage the power of PR, you've essentially fixed that problem of having more people come to you as opposed to you grinding away trying to seek out the right customers for you. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, you get bigger reach for your message on someone else's platform and you get kind of instant credibility. You know, you can raise your prices, you can you're seen as the go-to authority because the media is going to you for your position on your specific area of expertise. So there's that, but you're also getting this bigger platform with a built-in audience. And the best way to you know, capitalize on it is having a way to capture that interest. So if you get a placement in a publication, try to link that to something where you can capture the customer's interest. So you have some kind of an opt-in, a freebie, something that they can grab so that you can start to email market to them or at least you have a connection to those interested possible clients. So can you walk us through the, the, the Jen Burson experience? Like what's step number one when I'm a big brand that wants to work with your agency? Like what happens first typically? I mean, if we're going to start at square one, you know, usually it's a personal introduction or sometimes they come through our website and we set up a discovery call. And I always get on the phone with the mindset that above anything, I'm here to serve. So like we talked about before, sometimes clients don't know the difference between advertising and PR. I'm here to step into the role of the expert and to guide you. A lot of times clients will ask us for things because they've been told they need it or they've heard about it from someone else, but it's not necessarily the right strategy. So when I'm on even those early discovery calls, I don't give away all of our secret sauce. I don't give away full strategies unless we're retained, but I will let them know in general what a great approach for them is while we're on the phone. And I come from the mindset of I'm here to support you and serve you. And overall, we want to be an extension of their team. So you want to build that rapport right out of the gate. And then, you know, we create a proposal kind of based on what the client is looking for and we, you know, we are off to the races really quickly. We're a nimble, smaller, nimble firm that can make things happen really quickly. Our big clients really enjoy that about us because bigger agencies, you know, tend to kind of, it's like steering a cruise ship. They have multiple layers of people and decision makers. We just get a directive and we make it happen. And so we quickly onboard, we spend about a week or two building a strategy 
uh, we, re we review it with the client and get their sign-off, and we have an onboarding system so that they can get us assets that we need, and we let them know right away what assets we're going to need. We have a whole structure in place for them to just, you know, put them into our system, and we're off to the races, and we kind of build out our strategies in six-month chunks. That's the minimum engagement with our agency is a six-month commitment, and, you know, that's a pretty kind of standard length of time in our industry for a retainer agreement. It's because press takes a while to get moving. Um, even though we work quickly, some of these placements take three months to six months to come to fruition, and we just want a nice runway. So you get a sense of what it's like working with us. We get placements in hands by the end of that six months. And I tell clients, if you are not willing to give this at least six months and beyond, it's probably not worth your effort. So if you're going to do just a quick little shot in the arm, you're going to create all this goodwill and some interest that isn't, you know, kind of timed right, and you'll have all of these kind of pending opportunities, and then you just stop. You're missing out on all of those leads that were generated. So PR should be kind of an ongoing effort in your business, um, and most of our clients come to us with that mindset and they continue. I mean, we've had clients for 11 years because we just keep going and going and going. And as long as we're earning our keep, we get to stick around. That's a pretty sharp setup. All right. So when someone pays you, they pay you money or do you sometimes get equity in the company? Like, How does that work? So interesting that you're bringing this up because it's actually something I'm working on right now with a client. So typically, I mean, 99% of our arrangements are retainer agreements. We get paid in advance of services. Again, that's an industry standard. Um, and it's also regardless of results. So you better be good and stick around. Um, and patient is everything, right? So, um, you know, so that's most of the clients. But I have an interesting, I have a few companies that we've entertained um, an equity piece but usually it's an equity and retainer split. So it's a, it's like 50-50 and I'll take a reduced retainer. Um, I come out of pocket to pay my team and it's really hard. You know, you don't get anything for that equity unless there's a transaction and sometimes that's five years out. So I couldn't be out of pocket paying the team to execute on the services, but I will take a reduced fee and order to get equity and I'm doing that right now with a new skincare company and my you know I'm offered it not quite a bit but I would say you know probably every two three months it comes up for me I have to really believe in the team that's first and foremost and in this case it's a proven team a proven track record with successful exits that's what's enticing to me and I also really believe in the product and I know they're targeting a niche that is underserved, and I've tested the products personally, and I believe in them, and I really want to have skin in the game. So I was honored when they asked me to consider equity in this company. Very nice. Okay. So without naming any names, can you describe a PR crisis you've had, and how did you handle it? We don't have too many um, crisis situations in our agency. Which is, which is great. And if I did, I would definitely want an expert to handle it. Um, first and foremost, you know, just in general, if there is a crisis situation, you want to address it head on. 
You want to be open and honest, and you want to let your customers know how you're handling it, how you're addressing it, how you're making it right, and own up to it. That's the best approach. And I did have one situation with a brand, a baby brand, <laughs> that had a very significant um, manufacturing defect in one single product. So it wasn't like even a run of products. It was like one product that was handcrafted that had a problem with it, like a significant problem, something that a baby would be holding could be very, very damaging to them. And we, I advised the client how to handle it, but they had their own, it was almost from a place of, this can't be happening, this isn't possible, we don't believe what the customer is saying, which is the wrong approach. So what they asked the customer to then do was take pictures and post it <laughs> to show the defect. And I was like, this is the worst idea ever. Now there's pictures of the defect posted, you know, in social media. I mean, it was just terrible, and I, I advised against it. I was able to take the conversation offline to have a one-on-one -on -one discussion with the customer, to listen to their concerns and their needs, to, you know, empathize. I mean, I'm a mom too, and I can understand how terrifying it would be to have a product that I gave to my baby that could potentially hurt them. So I was able to connect on a personal level and calm this mother down, but in a really genuine way. Like, I just felt horrible about what happened and it's it was just outside of the brand's normal realm nothing like this has ever happened and then we offered her replacements and some additional things to kind of comfort her and you know I was able to kind of turn it around but I would not advise having the customer post anything I mean that was just like what are we that is just the wrong approach customers just want to be heard listen to them hear their stories, and you have the opportunity to turn your biggest critics, your loudest critics, into your brand evangelist based on how you handle their complaints. Good advice. Really good advice. So you've been in the game for a long time, and your expertise just shines through. So, you know, what personality characteristics do you think are the most important when it comes to being successful at public relations, do you think? You know, you want to be kind of type A. <laughs> it's a good use of a type A personality because you have a lot of balls in the air, a lot of things to manage, and you have to kind of stay on top of things. Again, with the follow-up and when you're waiting on people for things. And actually, I'm not great at that, to be really honest with you, but my team is. I trust them 100%, and I am able in my role to kind of give over control and let them do their thing. And I think you have to have a bit of a thick skin and not take things personally. You have to know that things will not always play out the way that you want them to. You can get really excited about an opportunity and you will be assured that it's happening and you know, I have an example of um, you know, and then it doesn't happen and I have an example of that. I had a client that we got on the Today Show, and it was this product that you stick to the wall. It's a mirror that you stick to the wall of your shower, and you can kind of position it any way you want, and you can see, you know, your under, underneath side, your, your privates, right? 
<laughs> and this product was designed just for that purpose. And it doesn't fog up. And it's like you can kind of see what you're dealing with in the mirror, in the shower, if you have to, like, groom yourself in the shower. Anyway, so we got the product on the Today Show. And, you know, it's a big coup because it's, like, kind of not a morning show product. But we got it on a segment that was called Water Cooler Products. And it was all of these kind of products that people are talking about around the water cooler because they're so different and interesting. And we have the product on the set, and Kathy Lee was the host. And when Bobby Thomas, the regular style contributor, started talking about it, Kathy Lee was so kind of shy and prude about the topic. She goes, we're not talking about this. Moving on. And pushed Bobby to the next product, and my client's product never made it on screen and never got named, and that was that. And we did our job, and we, you know, were so excited about it, and there was nothing we can do about it. And, you know, it's kind of devastating, especially to a small business owner who, you know, is kind of counting on that. And so I felt really sad for them. I've had a lot of near you know, kind of near misses with like Oprah and Ellen and we've had clients on Ellen, but it's just, you've got to have a thick skin and know there's, do your best, you know, opportunities will happen. They won't, it means nothing about you and you've got to just move on. That makes sense. (laughs) Now, are there any tools or books that you recommend that have really helped you out on your journey? Um, Well, one of the tools that I love so much in my business is Canva which is the graphic design website. It makes it so easy to create. For us, we use it for reporting our press clips to our clients. I make these beautiful edited press clips. They look so great. Um, our clients love them, and, and we're even you know, sharing our clips with um, monthly shareholder meetings with our clients that are publicly traded. I mean, they are going to that level. So it's, it's a really great way that we clean up our press clips and make them look really beautiful impressive and we also um, recommend Harrow help a reporter out it's a very basic resource and so many people know about it and I'm going to recommend you look at it not in the way that it's intended but what it is is editors looking for sources so they will list their queries and they will look for certain experts or certain sources on topics for stories they're working on now in a rare occurrence if you answer very very quickly you can possibly get press through a Harrow query. But there are so many people on that list now that you're not always going to get a response. You're going to get kind of buried. But what I like it for is seeing what journalists are actually looking to talk about right now. What are topics that they're interested in covering? And, if, you know, especially in your area because it's divided up by topic area. So you can start to get ideas for how you can position your own company. Maybe not to that editor, but if that's a timely, relevant angle, why not spin it and include yourself and and pitch it to the media that way? Um, So that's why I like Harrow. And, of course, you know, my programs, Press Success, (laughs) I put together because there wasn't really anything like it on the market that was a complete system for how to pitch to the media on your own. You know, I really believe that entrepreneurs are the best storytellers. They can tell their own brand story better than anyone else. And I wanted to create a resource for them to be able to do that and get press on their own. So that's what press success is. 
and I highly recommend it because we haven't even scratched the surface of the topic of getting PR and we're nearing the end of the interview. And Jen, I'm so glad that you had the opportunity to get on the show and share your expertise. So one question we ask all of our guests is, what's your number one smart tip that you would give to someone that's about to launch their business? Well, from my perspective with PR, the number one tip that I would give is to have all your ducks in a row. You want to have all your assets ready so that you can come out with a launch. You want to make it exciting. You want to create anticipation. You want to launch in a way where people are talking about you. So you want to have all of your assets ready, have a great story to tell, build some anticipation with your website, build some anticipation with your social media presence, talk about the date, make it an event, you know, not maybe an in-person event, but, uh, you know, get people excited for a certain day and a certain time when you're going to launch your brand or your company and create some kind of a reason for people to want to stick around and engage with your brand. Make them feel excited about being early adopters. Give your tribe a name so that people can feel like they identify with your company because they're fans of your products or your services. So, you know, you want to give them a reason to keep checking back in. And, you know, that all comes from having kind of a coordinated launch effort. If you kind of roll out, you put up a website, you know, you have a kind of build it and they will come attitude. You just kind of roll out quietly, put up a website. I think you're going to do a little SEO. I think you're going to put up a social media page and like start posting pictures and have people buy your products. That's not how you launch a brand. You need to create some excitement around it, build anticipation, and that happens with a good strategy, with all of your assets, your story, your products are all in hand, and you start pitching the media in advance of your launch. Give them a sneak peek and get them excited to be in the know. Well put and great insight. Again, Jen, thanks for taking the time to jump on the show and share what you know. Where can people go to learn more about what you're up to? They can visit generationpr.com and that's spelled with a J. And I'm also all over social at generationpr. I prefer Instagram. That's where I am the most. And um, yeah, and hopefully they download those two resources. They're just kind of really good for knowing what assets to have in place, your pre-press ready checklist, and then how you leverage your press wins to get more traction for your placement. Awesome. Jen, thanks for your time, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. I hope you enjoyed my episode with Jen Beerson from GenerationPR.com. Now, some of my biggest takeaways from this episode was how Jen found clarity in choosing her path because she didn't accept the path that was put before her. She literally stood up, looked around her environment, and asked herself, when I look at all the senior members in the role that I want, does it reflect what I want? And let's be honest, it's a scary thing to do, but it's an honest exercise that you can do with yourself today as you arrive to work. Ask yourself, will working here for the next 20, 30, 40 years make me happy? And if so, I applaud you for finding where you belong. But if not, I challenge you to go out there and find where it is that you belong because you deserve to be happy in what you do. So I really love that about her story. She got a lot of clarity early on 
and took the risk and made it work. Now, number two, I noticed how Jen elected to do her first job for free, which is common and a smart tactic for those of you who are trying to start out and you need to begin building your portfolio of work to help you land your next client that pays you. So to recap, to help her get her foot in the door, Jen did a sample job for free for a business that she was really excited to work with. Then after getting this small company into the pages of a magazine, Jen's client was able to quickly sell out of their products really, really quickly. And with that, it gave her the credibility that she needed to go out there and start rounding up clients to build her business. And she did it strategically brick by brick. And now she has, you know, billion dollar clients in her portfolio, but she had to start small and that's how she did it. And lastly, I'm really excited because Jen was kind enough to give all the Startup Smarter listeners access to not one, but two of her resources to help you get started in PR and bring in a wave of exposure to whatever product or service that you're working on. And if you wanna get your hands on those, I'll link them up into the show notes. And you can get all those links by heading over to startupsmarter.net forward slash podcast and looking for episode number 12. Also, before you leave, I wanted to announce the winners of our contest. So for the listener shout outs, our contest winner is Matt Four. Congratulations, you've won yourself a signed copy of the book, Startup Smarter, the no BS blueprint to launching more profitable products and services. Now, go ahead and do us a favor and email us at contact at startupsmarter.net and we'll go ahead and get that sent out to you right away. And now, the winner of the Entrepreneur Bundle Contest with a total retail value of $200 goes to Michael Lee 27. And again, the winner of the Entrepreneur Bundle Contest is Michael Lee 27. And Michael, since you've already entered your email address to go ahead and enter the contest, we'll go ahead and reach out to you directly to make sure that you get your prize bundle. All right. And that's our show. As always, I encourage you to leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to your podcast, because you might be our next big winner. This episode has been lovingly edited and produced by our intern, Eric Mercado at StartupSmarter.net. All right, my friends, that wraps up episode number 12 of the Startup Smarter Podcast. This is Joe Johnson signing off, and I'll see you on the next episode. 